Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. Is it too introspective? You know, is it too emotional? Is it too much about you? You know, because sometimes when you sing the truth, and, and we're all about affirming identity, and every ministry that we have of this church, especially worship, we want it geared toward affirming your identity in Christ. Amen? Because if you want to change, you have to become something and someone else. And that someone else is Christ in you. And if you don't know him in you, you don't know how to be anything else but you. And that you is dead. I'm dead. And Christ lives in you. Amen? That's the battle. If you're trying to figure out anything about Christianity, it's not about learning different doctrines. It's not about figuring out, you know, memorizing the order of the books. It's remembering, I, the old me is dead, and I am now alive in Christ. And Christ desires to glorify himself through me to the degree that I look just like him on this planet. In other words, a human walking in the authority that he walked in when he was here. You have that. It's just a matter of renewing your mind. That's all that's left for you, other than fulfilling your call, whatever that may be, you know. And we'll get to that maybe in week seven. Man, so this week we're actually starting a series. So in a couple of weeks, we'll celebrate our nine-year anniversary, which is amazing. And it's been slow and steady, you know. I mean, we're not, I don't really care about numbers. What I care about is fruit. And I look around this room, and I'm telling you, man, I've heard some stories of some serious fruit. That's, that's how I measure success, you know. Numbers are fine, but if you've got numbers without fruit, what does it matter? You're just getting people, anyway. So we do have... Uh, core beliefs and values. We've posted them up on our website, forwardchurch.net. Sometimes people come in and they want to know what we're about. That's probably the best way to go to it. And this is not just a church message, you know, about trying to grow this church or anything like that, but it, it, it is, these are foundational truths about what God has called this church to be. But I also believe just to help you understand who you are in Christ to move into whatever it is that God calls you into. Now, you're doing it. In fact, you follow God better accidentally than you try to on purpose. <laughs> it's just true. When you're not overthinking it, when you're not trying to figure out what am I supposed to do, God, and you're just at peace and you're aware of Him and you know who you are in Him and you're making decisions to follow Him, you're going to follow Him. Amen? Amen? And you're not all freaked out about it. You only get freaked out about it when you try to figure out if you're doing the right thing or not. And you know when you're, you know. Gosh, I can hear it. I can hear people's thoughts sometimes. And it's like there's so many little holes that people want to jump. Well, what about this? What about this? You pray. Get spiritual. You hear the Holy Spirit. So this series, we're going to spend a couple of weeks looking at it. You know, I kind of I view it as it's like marriage counseling for you and God.
Because you know you're betrothed to him, right? That's how he defines himself as your husband. You are his bride. He loves you. He wants to spend the rest of his life with you. And he cherishes you. And you are the apple of his eye. You are what he wants. And he has good plans for your marriage. And when I do marriage counseling, people come in. Yeah, there might be some behavioral issues you need to deal with. Those get kind of cleaned up along the way. But they get cleaned up along the way as love becomes the focal point of the marriage again. As you remember why you got married in the first place. And usually that's what it's about. You know, it's just a few misunderstandings that you work through. My very first thing that I do when I take people through marriage counseling or even premarital counseling is we break out the DISC profile, which helps you understand yourself, how you communicate, and it helps you understand your spouse and how they communicate. And hopefully you love each other enough to actually put into practice what you learn. (laughs) Now, I don't think God needs counseling. Sometimes... We think he does, and we're more than willing to tell him what he needs to do to make us happy. He knows. He already knows. He knows what you need before you ever even ask. So it's on our end because he's doing everything right and perfect and holy because he loves you. Amen? So it's just about understanding your spouse. It's about knowing who he is knowing how he communicates, knowing his heart and his will towards you, which he's made that pretty evident in Christ, right? And you making the adjustments to communicate with him, getting to know him, letting his love for you do something within your mind and in your heart and affirm that relationship. Amen? Amen. Because he's good. And that's going to be the first message in this series is God is good. How long? Let's see. Let me see how, let me see how churched you are. God is good. Yeah, see. All the time. Oh, I forgot about that part. I didn't go to a church that did that. I didn't go to church till later anyway, but. My God, I made another. This place is for you. We're continuing to help you detox from the millions. But he's good, and he's only good. And his definition of good is the same, if not better, than ours, you know? God's definition of good doesn't somehow include death. You know what I mean? Amen. Well, God's good. Yeah, but, you know, my wife has cancer. Well, you know what? Bless God, God's good. What are you saying? Well, he's, you know, we don't understand him. He just, you know, everything works out for good to those who love God. He won't put more on you than you can bear. What? <laughs> Let's actually go and read that scripture. Because you're just making stuff up. How many of you have been confused by the scripture? God won't put more on you than you can bear. Do you know why you've been confused? Because it's not in the Bible, it's not what it says. I tricked you. Sorry. 
We'll get there. I'm going to cover that in just a minute. But I'm just, I'm just kind of letting it settle for a minute. Let our hearts remember what we're doing, you know. And that is we're, we're discovering who we are as his children. That's what it's about. God wanted a family. And he did what his part needed to be. He came into this dark, sinful, broken world as a human and destroyed every aspect of this broken world that keeps us separated from him in his eternal state. That's what it was about. God looked at his creation that he gave dominion of this earth to and gave free will to and said, I knew they would mess it up, but I also knew that I would come into that place as them and destroy everything that keeps them separated from me so that if they want it, they can have an eternal relationship with me. That's what it's about. Amen. It's not about you trying to figure out the right doctrine, trying to figure out the right steps, getting the right belief in place, doing church the right way, the right working at the right job, getting the right anointing, marrying the right spouse, being right all the time. Right all the time. <laughs> you ever felt like that's what Christianity was about? It's about looking to your father and realizing, man, you have removed every obstacle. You broke the power of sin. You're more powerful than death. Think about that. He passed into the grave, and his faith, his trust toward this eternal promise was stronger than death. Death could not... Hold him. Come on. That's right. That's not just the scripture that we quote. It's not just the song lyric to sing. Literally, when he died on that cross and passed into the grave, the faith of Christ was stronger than death. We think death is it. That's the final end. No coming back. Well, there is for him. He is stronger than death. And when you're in him, death can't touch you. You know, unfortunately, we still have these bodies and we still let sin reign and we're experiencing death. Whether it be a dumb mistake or just the effects of living in this world, you know. But he defeated that. And I'm not just talking about you trying to get healed. I'm talking about you realizing that your God wants you with him wants you experiencing his life because he's good. Amen. He's better than you think. So much better. Amen. Amen. Amen? There's probably you know, hundreds of angles we could come at the God is good idea from scripturally. You know, when you think God is good, what do you think? You know, maybe it's emotional restoration. Maybe it's substance abuse addiction. Maybe it's deliverance from voices in your head. You know, maybe it's realizing that life is worth living and I don't want to give up anymore. Don't know what I'm going to do, but I trust God. You know, what, what is it? What does his goodness look like to you? Maybe he's leading you to a better paying job. Maybe he's helping you just be at peace with yourself and life. He's good. He looks at you and he says, I don't need anything else. You're in Christ. 
you're lovely to me. You're my bride that I adore and cherish, and I have cleansed you with my blood to make you acceptable to me. Done. Now that you're done, let my spirit compel you in your earthly form to bear out what's true of you spiritually. Amen? Amen. You know, and so much of experiencing God is just really knowing who He is. Who is He? Knowing His character. Knowing who He is and who you are in this relationship with Him. And He's good. So today, I'm going to get a little technical here. Y'all okay with that? With a couple of these passages. I've gone over this before. I love going over these scriptures, but I want to deal with the idea of tests and trials and temptation and all of that kind of stuff. Now, if you're interested, I will post in our Facebook church group um, a series called Is God in Control? And I go through a lot that in a lot more detail. This, this series, I'm gonna, we're going to make a lot of resources available. Because we want this church to be an equipping center for you. You know, what we are supposed to be doing is making disciples. And what all of us that dedicate our time and are on staff, what we want to do are just have resources in place for you to engage your heart and mind with, to be equipped so that first off, you're just at peace with your life, following God, knowing that he loves you, and that's enough but then also equipped to have these kinds of conversations because the world does not know God, and a lot of the Christian world doesn't know God, his character. They don't, you know, people get really nervous when you start talking about God in the New Testament and the fact that the Old, Test, the old Covenant was fulfilled. Well, yeah, but you got to preach the whole counsel of the Word, brother. Okay, well, but what covenant are you in? Well, yeah, but you can't just throw out the... No, we're not throwing it out. We're putting our relationship with God fully in the perspective and in the place where God defines it, and that is in Christ. Amen? Amen. 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 In Christ. It's got to, that's the filter, in Christ. Does that mean sin's okay? No. no. Does that mean you just you know, eat Cheetos and drink beer and wait for the rapture? I don't know where that came from, but anyway. Somebody said, depends on what kind of beer it is. Netflix, yeah. Netflix and Cheeto. So here's the technical part, okay? Because I want you to understand some things about how God relates to you in this covenant and how you can communicate who God is to other people and eliminate some confusion for yourself and your circumstances. Like I said, I go through it in a little bit more detail in that series, but I'm going to cover it 
you know, pretty thoroughly here. It's funny because the way that we understand a particular doctrine, like temptation or trials or tests or sovereignty in general, you do have to go to the Word of God. And you look at it everywhere that it's addressed in Scripture. You understand which covenant it's in. How does it relate to me? But what does the Bible say about it? And it's interesting, there are just a few areas that the Bible addresses the idea of tests and trials and temptation. But most of what people believe about those things comes from Abraham and Job, which Job was probably before the Old Covenant was even established. And Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son, but did he actually have to sacrifice him? It was an internal test that God was checking to see where he was in his heart. But God provided himself a lamb. And I'll get to that. So let's look at just what Jesus says about these ideas. So I'll give you kind of one of the conclusions ahead of time because it'll make sense here. Trials are always associated with temptation. Always. Anytime you go through Scripture, especially in the New Covenant, and if your faith is under a trial or a test, it's because you have been previously tempted. Now, suffering and persecution are different. You know, when, you, when I do this teaching, people say, well, you're minimizing suffering. It's as if you say that God doesn't want us to suffer. Well, I don't think God wants you to suffer. And suffering does not produce holiness. The blood of Jesus does. Alone. Nothing that you can do in your flesh produces an eternal result or a spiritual result. In other words, nothing that you suffer in your body adds to what God can do for and through you and has done for you spiritually. Does that make sense? So holiness is the result of the blood of, of you being cleansed properly. And you get cleansed by the blood of Jesus, and it leaves you holy. It leaves you set apart for the master's use. It leaves you pure and clean. The blood of Christ does that. Suffering does not bring you to holiness. Now, you could say there is a connection with if you experience <laughs> suffering, it, it helps you puts things into perspective so that you draw closer to this holiness that is within you, but you going through an external suffering does not produce more holiness within you. All right? Now, I realize that probably 12 churches right down the road would, would argue with that tooth and nail. But God called me to pastor this church, so that's what I'm going to do. Amen. All right, so temptations, trials are always associated with temptation. Now, if you follow God and you say yes to your calling, like the disciples in the beginning, and they were called into places, and Jesus told them, he said, look, you're going to go to places, and you're going to suffer terrible things. And Paul addressed, he's like, I've suffered these things for you. I have, you know, I've suffered snake bite, shipwreck, all kind of stuff, you know. He's like, it's nothing. It's cow poop to me. It's nothing. Because he knew who he was already. He wasn't looking at those sufferings to define him. He knew who he was so he could put those sufferings in proper perspective. Now, God might call you to an area. God might call you to Saudi Arabia or downtown Atlanta where you go down there. 
you know, somebody, I mean, God might call you to the streets where you get hurt physically. He might call you to an area where, you know, there's not much money to be made. And you're, you know, I mean, you know what I'm saying? God might call you into an area where you saying yes to that area, you then experience some external challenges and difficulties, maybe even the losing of your life. But that does not produce the holiness of God within you. That's just you saying yes to God, following him into whatever he would lead you into for the purpose of bringing the gospel to that area. You might just happen to experience some suffering along the way. That's all it is. You see the difference? A test and a trial. Now, so persecution you might experience as well. God's not persecuting you. God's not looking for ways to cause you to suffer. We're not Buddhists. We're not trying to figure out how to lose our ego to be more free from the karmic cycle. You know, Buddhists believe that when you're suffering, embrace it because it's making you more pure and it's eliminating things about your ego that you're holding on to about this life. That's what a Buddhist teaches. Christianity has adopted that, that if you're suffering, it means that you're holding on to this world too much and you need to let it go. That's not how God defines suffering. The only suffering you might experience that's God-ordained is if you face challenges as you're saying yes to his call. Does that make sense? Persecution, that's pretty obvious what that is. You're out there preaching the gospel, people come against you. But tests and trials are slightly different. So here's what Jesus says, Matthew 6.13. Lead us not into temptation. If Jesus prayed, lead us not into temptation, and Jesus fully represents God, Jesus is God in the flesh, do you think God wants you to be tempted? No. If Jesus prayed, God, don't lead us into temptation, do you think God would want you led into temptation? No. I mean, I'm just applying a little bit of logic here. I don't know. It makes sense to me that he would not want you led into temptation if Jesus said, don't lead us into temptation. But deliver us from the evil one, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Next one, Matthew 26, 41. Watch and pray that you enter, lest you enter into temptation. Or watch and pray so you won't enter into temptation. Again, Jesus is against being led into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. All right? 1 Corinthians 10. And we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Now, here's what I... If you don't get a whole lot out of this, I want you to remember this, okay? 1 Corinthians 10, 13 and James 1, 13. Those are very connected, and I'll pull it all together here. But when you leave out of here and you have this conversation with people... Because people will say, well, I just don't understand what God's doing. He's really putting me through the ringer right now. You can say 1 Corinthians 10, 13, James 1, 13. I don't have to memorize it. I'm going to open it. Here we go. And you help them. You realize you help them. All right? So watch this. Get, and we're going to jump right to James 1, 13, and then I'm going to jump back. So no temptation. And you already know what Jesus thinks about temptation, right? Don't go there. No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to me. Now, some translations actually translate temptation as trial. Anybody have a, t- a translation that says trial or test? Or some, I think it even says 
Yeah, trial and test are the other two. So no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. You got to really understand how this stuff is written, all right? When he starts talking about you facing a temptation or a test or a trial, and I'll show you how that gets translated like that. It's talking about when you face depression, when you face addiction, when you face fear, job loss, debt, those thoughts that you don't want in your heart and mind, when you face those things, that's what he's talking about. That when life happens, so to speak, God's faithful. You see that? You see the logic where he starts to take you? When you're in the middle of something, when life happens, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. That is what gets misrepresented as God won't put more on you than you can bear. Does it say God is putting it on you? Okay. So he won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide... Does it say when he tempts you? It says when you are tempted. He will also provide a way out so you can endure it. James 1.13, flip over there. Wait, leave it, go back one second, sorry. It kind of sounds like he's bringing the temptation or the trial and the way out, doesn't it? I mean, some might read that. You might be looking at that thinking, well, it says he brings both. He's bringing the temptation and the way out. He's going to see if you pass the test, right? I mean, worldly logic, that would make sense. However, same word, James 1.13. Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. The word tempted is the exact same word in the Greek. It's uh, 3986. (laughs) This is so important. I don't want to rush past this. This is not just some technical little thing to look at. There is a a phrase that's used in cliche Christianity that says, God won't put more on me than I can bear. He won't allow more to come on me than I can... He's going to put this on me right until my breaking point, and then he's going to help me. Have you heard that? Have you you believed that? It is unscriptural. Scripture itself denies that. Here it's saying when the temptation comes, God makes a way of escape so you can endure it and bear it. The least you could say is he wants you to bear it, but why would he make a way of escape if he wanted you to bear it? You know what I mean? But then very clearly... Don't say it's from God. 1 Corinthians 1.13, when the temptation comes, because God is faithful, he will make a way of escape. James 1.13, and oh, by the way, don't say it's from God. Amen. Let's read 1 Corinthians. I, I mean, I'm telling you, I want this to seek in. I'm, gonna, I'm in kind of teaching mode here for a minute. 1 Corinthians 10.13 again real quick. No temptation has overtaken you except which is common. That thing you're going through, somebody's been through it. Your neighbor's probably going through it too. Maybe you should get to know them so you can help each other. Jesus for sure has been through it. 
No temptation has overtaken you except which is common to mankind. And God is faithful. Say, God is faithful. faithful. Think about what you're going through. God's faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He will. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. James 1, 2. And this is where you kind of, it rounds out the idea. Count it all joy when you fall into temptations, all right? So you've heard that, right? I'm supposed to be happy and joyful when I face a trial or a test. This word is also translated as trial or test. When this difficulty, when this trial, when this test from God comes on me, I'm supposed to count it all joy, right? You heard that? Have you heard it applied in that? This thing that's from God that's more than you can bear, but he's just going to bring you to the breaking point. Count that as joy. But that's not what it's saying. Let's keep going. So my brethren, count it all joy. When you, and I'm reading in the King James because it's just, when you do technical stuff like this, it, it's, a little, it's just a better translation for this. Count it all joy when you fall into different temptations. It's the same word that in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there's a promise that God will make a way out. And a little further down, it's the exact same word that James says, don't say that it's from God. So when you count it all joy, you can't say that it's from God. Are you following me? Knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. All right. Again, because we're confused about what temptation is and if it's from God or not, because of that cliche that gets said, I'm telling you, man, that cliche has wrecked a lot of people's faith in God. God won't put more on you than you can bear. Knowing this, that this, but there's a couple of other areas. There's actually only two areas that it's dealt with as far as the trying of your faith. It's in 1 Peter. We'll get over there as well. But here is where you get the, the you apply the proper exegetical process and you go through these subjects and you realize, okay, well, this subject, every time I see this subject, there's this also. Every time you see a trial or, you, or a trying of faith, it's associated with temptation. And you're told temptation is not from God. So the trying of your faith that is associated with that temptation is not from God. Well, but it says that God tests our hearts and God tested Abraham. Okay, that's a different word. We'll get there. Are you following me? All right. Am I boring you? No. Get over it. All right. Patience. What is patience? But in that list, what is patience? What is that list? Fruits of the Spirit. Fruits of the Spirit. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit. Are you sure it's not a fruit of you suffering in the flesh? Not, not one time in Scripture. Are you taught that patience is the result of you suffering in the flesh or you passing a test? Patience is a fruit of the Spirit. Because God is faithful, when you are facing a test and you are tempted, you need the spiritual fruit of patience. It's not you facing the trial 
that gives you the patience. That's the expected fruit that you should be eating when you're facing that trial. Because he's faithful. Verse 4. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect or mature, not more holy or more righteous. There's a doctrine, progressive righteousness or positional righteousness or progressive holiness. Now, you want holiness and righteousness to progress from your spirit through your heart into your soul and your mind and your actions, of course. But if you were to die in this moment, your flesh is gone, your spirit remains, and it's as holy as it's ever going to be. And that's the real you. Let patience. So what is it that makes you mature? What's working here? Patience. Patience is a fruit of the spirit. So it's patience, which is a fruit of the spirit, that produces maturity and brings you to the place where you lack or want nothing. Do you see what I'm getting at? It's not you facing this difficulty under the hand of God that's bringing you to your breaking point to see if you're going to pass. Okay, here's some patience. You pass the test. But that's how God's taught. That's what people think about God. That is not your husband. Would you want to stay married to a husband like that? Think about it. All right, let's keep going. We're going to skip down to verse 12, James 1, 12. Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he's tried, there again, temptations produce trials. And you're going to love where temptation comes from, let me tell you. Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he is tried. Now, in 1 Peter, when it says that God tries our hearts, it's a different word. And it's a different process. It's an inward thing. Just so you know, I mean, those of you that know the Bible and you're jumping ahead, blessed is a man. This sounds like it should be a good thing to face tests and trials and temptation, right? Like it's going to produce good things in you. Well, unless you really know who God is and you understand what he's trying to do here. See, James is interesting because he looks like he contradicts Paul because a little further he says that you're saved by your works. And it sounds like a contradiction to Paul saying you're not saved by your works. But what James is doing is he's addressing the carnal effects of what salvation should do in your life. Paul pretty much addresses the spiritual realities, your identity. James addresses what the fruit should be. I mean, I've got a whole other series on that too if you want it. where I can post it in there. Blessed is a man that endures temptation for when he is tried. Remember... Oh, we're getting there, sorry. Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he's tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. All right, stay there for just a minute. Another technicality here, all right? Who gets the crown of life? Look at it. Who gets it? Those that love him. How do they get the crown of life? It's promised. It's promised. A works righteousness legalistic mentality says 
You get the crown of life if you endure the temptation. I mean, I'm telling you, I know I'm rocking the boat and there's cows dying left and right in this <laughs> church right now. God promises you the crown of life because you love Him. One of the ways that you experience this crown of life that He's given to you is if you face whatever the world brings to you and you say no, and you put that crown on. You put on the new man. You renew your mind. See, here is where you start realizing there are other things that are taught in Scripture that are not separate doctrines. They're just said different ways, but the application is the same, all right? So you are transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? You are to put on the new man, put off the old. This is the same process. When you face those trials and difficulties and those challenges, Trust God for patience, and as you are patient in the midst of all this, it's, it's almost like you're in that, you're like Elijah hidden in the cave, right? And that storm is going on around you. You're hidden in Christ inwardly. You're safe in God. All this world is coming at you. You hope it has nothing in you like Jesus says. You don't want something in you for the enemy to get or for the world to try to define you inwardly. You're safe. You're promised the crown of life. And when this stuff comes at you and you say no to it and you don't choose it and you don't let it define you, you are experiencing this crown of life because you love God. You have the crown of life because it's promised to those that love Him. Do you see that? This is a very specific way of how to live in identity when dealing with either Scripture or what the Scripture is talking about. So when life comes at you, realize, I'm hidden in Christ. I've got a crown on. I am a king of life. I am a royal priest in his court. I am hidden with Christ in God. And when temptation comes at me and when trials come at me, I am going to trust God to bear patience within me so that I don't take my crown off and put something else on that the world is trying to say that I am. Do you see that? I don't think that's an improper hermeneutic here. I mean, you know, these technical words that don't really mean anything. I don't think that's an improper way of understanding what he's talking about here. However, when you have a new covenant filter, and when your identity is established in what Christ did for you and who you are in him then you can look at something like this and realize, okay, I'm starting from the inside and I'm going to work out. Too much of Christianity is I'm going to try to get all this out here and then, and then try to get it in me. Verse 13. Now, then, then it's not enough just to say, don't say it's from God. Then he keeps going. Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted from God, uh, of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And see, some people say, well, he'll tempt you, but not with evil. He doesn't tempt at all. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. Next verse. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Uh-oh. 
Brethren, count it all joy when you fall into temptation. Because when you endure it, you're going to experience that crown of life. Don't think it's strange, this temptation and this trial that's coming against you, because when you are tempted, God will show you a way out so that you're able to bear it. Don't say that it's from God. All I'm doing is addressing every scripture that uses that word. And these are the scriptures that cliche Christianity puts together to say that God will put things on you to see if you break or not. We are poorly misrepresenting him. And it's not that, it, all I'm doing is reading some scripture, maybe with a particular filter, new covenant filter, but is this confusing to you or is it kind of some things clicking for you? You mean that thing that I'm supposed to count joy that's going to cause me to choose patience so that I will experience this crown of life that I've been given and that thing that God has promised to help me out of when it's almost too much for me, he's going to make a way of escape. You mean that thing is my fault? <laughs> because the Spirit of God is constantly leading you into truth, not something that's going to produce the trial. Well, you're saying God wants just our life to be perfect. Well, aside from the fact that he prayed, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, I'm not discounting suffering and persecution. However, I am completely discounting your life having any adverse influence under the influence of God at all. Amen. Let's keep going. Then when lust has conceived, it brings forth... So temptation is not sin. Okay? Jesus was tempted. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh, just like you've got, except he didn't need to be born again. He was, you know, who he was. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh, faced everything that you faced, yet he didn't sin. So it's not a sin to be tempted. It's just, are you going to let it bear fruit in you? Then when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. Sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. Now, don't get this wrong. You, you, you know, we miss, we miss these things. We miss when there's like this definitive line in the sand. He's just taught a very specific thing about what temptations and trials are, right? He's brought you into proper perspective to say, look, be patient through it. Understand, remember who you are so that you can experience this crown of life. Oh, by the way, don't let lust conceive to further the process. And don't get this part wrong. Don't say that it's from God. Don't get this wrong. Next verse. Every good and every perfect gift is from above. Amen. The literary technique he's using here is to say, Everything before that, this contradicts everything before that. In other words, to overly simplify it, the bad is from the world. The bad is not from God. The good is. 
and his definition of good is the same as ours. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, every good gift comes. Well, you know what? Cancer taught me to love God. I'm just saying what people say. Had a conversation with somebody, went through cancer, and I said, well, do you think you could have learned what you learned without the cancer? No, no. I mean, I, it's easy to laugh at that, but there's just stuff that we believe. It's heartbreaking. You might as well say God's spirit is not strong enough to teach me the way that he would normally teach inwardly. I have to suffer through something physically in the flesh to get what it is that he wants me to have, really that he's already given me in Christ. See, when you understand your, the, fish, the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Christ and your completeness in him, you realize all of this stuff that I think that I've got to go through to be added to me, it, it, it's, it's nullifying the finished work of Christ. I mean, it's a big deal. Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, and that doesn't change, essentially, is what he's saying. With whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. What do you think? I know it's technical, I know it's a lot, and I know that if you were to get in a conversation with somebody that says, well, you know what, God's just not, he's not going to put more on me than I can bear, you know that they're misquoting 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and then you can jump over to James 1, 13 and say, but don't say it's from God, because he says don't say it's from him. It's the good stuff that comes from him. But people will then say, well, I think... Well, I believe, well, I went through this and I learned circumstantial theology. There's not a whole lot you can do with that. Just make sure you don't think that way. Make sure you don't encounter Scripture and then say, well, I don't know about that. This is what I believe. I mean, you don't have any ground to stand on at that point. But, you know, we've, we've just taken the conversation from actually standing on who God has revealed himself to be in the revealed word to teach our minds and our hearts how to properly see him into a place of just opinion. Most of Christianity, in the, in the parts where it really matters, there's just too much opinion. It's got to be built on the word. Are you with me? 1 Corinthians 10, 13, James 1, 13. That thing you're going through, it's not from God. That thing you're going through, he's making a way out because he's faithful. Do you believe that he's faithful? See, because here's where the rubber meets the road. It's like, all right, my excuses are gone now. Thank you very much. Now what do I actually believe about God? Do I believe he's faithful? Do I believe he loves me? See, this is where you get back to the relational element of experiencing him. Who is he? I feel like I woke up one morning and I looked over and I didn't recognize him anymore. I've heard that in marriage counseling a lot. People get years years down the road and they're like, I don't even know who this person is anymore. We do that with God. Remember who he is. Remember what he's done for you. Remember who you are in Christ. Remember this union you have with him. It's all about that. It's all about what he chose to do through Christ for you, 
through you, in you, to you, with you. <coughs> Amen? Amen? You can trust him. Some of you are facing some stuff, I know. It's not from God, but he's faithful. Yes, he is. It's not from God, but he's faithful. The world is broken. It's not too late. I feel like I'm about to give up. Maybe that's when God comes in. Don't think that way. Realize you're hidden in God. You're complete in Him. He's faithful. He who began a good work will complete it. You can trust Him. He's not bringing hardship to you. He's not endorsing it. He loves you. He has good plans for you. And even if you think it's too late, it's not. Amen. You are breathing. God is big. And he's faithful. Are you going to trust him? And are you going to let him do it his way? Just make that decision. Father, I trust you. Just tell him I trust you. Thank you that you're good. Thank you that you're not allowing this stuff into my life. You're trying to deliver me from it. And I trust you. Now just take another second and let hope come up. It's been a long time, baby. Hope. I don't understand. I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, you know hope. Hope. And my hope is in God. If God were to appear in front of you in your relationship, in your situations, in your circumstances, and God himself were to put his finger on it, what would happen to it? Hope. Even in uncertainty. Holy Spirit, I yield to you. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your peace. I trust you. Just tell him again, I trust you.